Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson. We are recording this on January 20th, 2021, uh, the, the date of the inauguration of our 46th president, Joe Biden, and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. As a special edition of our Puder Politics podcast, you know, usually we we do this at the beginning of the week, but uh, we felt we went, we wanted to to weigh in on what happened today, and and you know, the, 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 obviously this is a really unusual situation that we're in. I mean, I think every uh, new president when they give their inaugural address and they and we have this transfer of power, there's there's an attempt to be uh, reassuring to the country. And uh, but I think that the stakes were a lot higher in this case because we were coming off of uh, a riot at the Capitol two weeks ago, in which uh, supporters of Donald Trump, a, a, a mob who had basically been incited by Donald Trump to go and uh, encourage members of Congress to block the uh, election of Joe Biden. Uh, they ended up breaking in and uh, causing all kinds of damage. Five people ended up dying in this. Uh, so you, you, there were a lot of concerns about security with this inaugural. They were obviously we're dealing with the, the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, a, a country as divided as any time I can remember in my lifetime. And so with all that in mind, you know, Joe Biden, you know, I think was aware of, of what he had to do um, today and, and with this inaugural. And so I, I just, I'll start with that and just ask you, Greg, you know, what your impressions were of, of, you know, the tone of the inaugural and, and how it went. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, let me first say that there, I can't think of any lines uh, from his 21 minute speech that we're going to be repeating for years to come. Right. Uh, but I mean, he did, you know, he was talking about a restoration of, of democracy and, you know, a good deal of the speech was a repudiation of, of the Trump presidency over the last four years. Uh, yet, you know, he was, he, he was also trying to be as conciliatory, conciliatory as he could. But I mean, look, the setting, I mean, not only, you know, was, was the setting from what he was speaking the site of a riot two weeks ago. It was the site of Trump's impeachment a week ago. That's right. <laughs> now, That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the amount of turmoil, I mean, it's just unprecedented for a presidential inauguration to have had this much anxiety and, and, you know, just, just chaos in the weeks ahead of it. Um, so it was, it was, in some ways, a very calming speech. At least yeah. that's what he he intended it to be. And for all you know, for all of um, kind of the madness over the last several weeks, and you know the the constant lying on you know from from Donald Trump about uh, the election results uh, ahead of that, uh, it felt. It felt like almost a traditional uh, inaugural address. I mean, it was it was remarkable to me in that way. Yeah, and, and it was very much about uh, there was the message of whether you supported me or not. I'm going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a president for all Americans for all, uh, representing all of you, which is similar to what we've heard from other presidents. But it's I, I think just because of of the context, things like that, mm -hmm. which are are. You know, we're used to hearing that from from uh, newly inaugurated presidents. Somehow, they seemed somewhat striking 
mm-hmm. because we're right there. We're, we're just in, in this situation now where we, we have maybe a third of the country does not accept Joe Biden as president, believes he, he stole the election or whatever. And so um, mm-hmm. that was, I think, a, a really, a new, it, it was, um, to me, what kind of s- surprised me was just that it, it felt very much like a sermon. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. we've, we, we, I think we got used to Barack Obama, uh, you know, at, at, the, at that, you know, when he delivered some of his, his greatest speeches, uh, kind of, uh, employing some of the, the techniques and, 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 you know, the, the, uh, dynamics that we would see maybe in, in, in the church, you know, that, that kind of the way he would kind of, uh, lift people up. It's not something we necessarily associate with Joe Biden, though we, we know he's a really, uh, deeply religious person, but this mm-hmm. one had that sort of tone, you know, and it, and it was, and, uh, I thought a lot about how, um, you know, Joe Biden, you know, in a, this is the, the the contradiction I find with Joe Biden that he is cl- is clearly has been in his political life extremely ambitious. He got elected to the Senate at twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Was very open at the time about you know the 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 aspirations that he had for himself. Ran for president in his mid forties in nineteen eighty eight. Ran again in two thousand eight. So he's been a really ambitious person. But the Joe Biden that I see now at seventy eight, the oldest president that we've ever had. Um, what, what strikes me about him is that, you know, he's, he came into this election cycle. He'd already been vice president for eight years. He had been a Senator for 36 years. I think when he decided not to run in 2016, I really think he thought that was it for him, for his political career. He probably thought Hillary Clinton's going to win. I'm done. And even after, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. She'll, and she'll win re-election eight years, you know, so we're yeah. talking eight years from now. So, uh, yeah, forget this. Go back and look at his 2016 convention speech, and it sounds pretty mm-hmm. much like a guy at the end of his career. And I, so I think that he probably, over the course of 2017, he said it was Charlottesville what happened there that really got him thinking about running. It, it, you mm-hmm. know, I don't, I don't know, but I, I do think that he had come. He was at peace with the idea that his cr- political career was pretty much over. He had already he had he had a legacy, a pretty substantial legacy behind behind him already. So I don't think he's coming into this in the way that maybe some presidents do where they're still carving out a legacy for themselves. I think he really came is, is entering the white house knowing that he's at, you know, near the end of his career, who knows if he, if he'll even seek a second term, but he wants mm-hmm. to be this kind of stabilizing figure mm-hmm. at a time when things are really unstable. And that's what the speech felt like right. to me. I'm trying to kind of re- restore stability in some way. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that you're right, like he's, there's, you know, this, the presidency is, is really the, the end of the line for Joe Biden. There are no, you know, he might get a book deal, (laughs) (laughs) but there's no, you know, like there's, you know, it's unlikely that he's going to have a, you know, a really substantial life after the presidency, like Bill Clinton and, and, you know, the global Clinton foundation right. and with Obama, with this, you know, mega book deal and all kinds of public appearances, that's not going to be Joe Biden. So I think that has, you're right. Like that, that, that prospect has kind of a leavening effect. Like we, you know, it, it we kind of accept, uh, you know, if you accept the legitimacy of his election and you should, because it was legitimate, um, you know, he's, he, he really does seem to have, um, you know, the, the, the nation's interests at heart. I mean, there's not much in it for him 
uh, post post presidency. So yeah. yeah, I mean he's he's in it to 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 restore you know the, the U.S. prestige to address the pandemic, the economic fallout. I mean, you do get that sense that, that this is an asset, you know, he, he truly uh, uh, cares about this. I wanted to read something, uh, some uh, a, a snippet from inaugural address and, and uh, uh, wanted to have that point I went to make after this, but um, so the, what I'm going to read is this. Uh, when we listen to the better angels of our nature, we find that they, that they celebrate the simple things, the base, basic things such as goodness, decency, love, kindness. Greatness comes in simple trappings. The simple things are the ones uh, needed today um, if, if we're to surmount uh, what divides us and cement what unites us. Unites us. To lower our voices would be uh, a simple thing. And then uh, you cannot learn from one another uh, we cannot learn from one another until we stop shouting at one another, uh, unless we, uh, we speak quietly enough so that our, our words can be heard as well as mm-hmm. our voices. Um, this sounds, uh, what I just read sounds like something that could have been in Joe Biden's speech today. Uh, it's pretty consistent with the tone that we heard from him today, but this is actually from the 1969 inaugural address uh, given by Richard Nixon. And um, Richard Nixon is remembered for many things. He's not necessarily thought of as the great unifier or the man who brought healing to the country. He's he kind of won by uh, he benefited from the uh, the Southern strategy, which divided right. Southern <laughs> whites. And blacks. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like he, in a lot of ways, he's responsible for yes. this really awful in political environment we're in now. Exactly, cleaving but, off Southern states. Yeah, but anyway. But yes, yeah, but no, but so that you know, the, but Nixon came in uh, after uh, this horrible 1968 in which we had Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy assassinated. The we had uh, you know protesters getting pummeled by police at the, at the Chicago Democratic Convention. Uh, it was you know the Vietnam War was ongoing. So Nixon came in with the idea that you know we're everybody's shouting at each other and and we just need to start listening to each other. And I think that that was. Um, Maybe just uh, coincidentally, you know, a, a very, very similar. The tone that he adopted was similar to what what Biden uh, yeah. talked about. He wanted. He talked about, you know, we have to. There, there. Um, the unity is something that some people would call a foolish fantasy, but it's the only way forward. He said that there, there are lies and there's truth, and we have to be committed to the truth. Um, so much of it was about there are all these old established norms that we've that we've sort of lost sight of um mm. and we have to try to find them again and i mean i i, I guess my, my question for you is like i mean how uh what what chance do we really have in light of uh what what we've seen the division that we've seen because so much of it seems when he talks about lies and truth there's no doubt about that that there's that um we've got a problem in this country uh, with mm-hmm. with that issue but so much of it seems to be rooted in social media for example which um mm. I don't think anybody's really got a good grip on how we uh, rein rein in all the disinformation there. Um, what do you think? Oh yeah, I mean, look, politics, uh, at least in the modern era, has never been more tribal uh, than it's been over the last four years. And but it's been, you know, it's even even within the last four years, it's gotten much worse uh, in 2020. So when when Nixon gave that speech in in 1969. I mean that we were really at the beginning of that of that split between uh, kind of the the grassroots conservative movement 
and and in the mainstream and that you know it accelerated you know it 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 occurred over you know a matter of decades but it's really accelerated under trump to the point where uh you know you like like you mentioned you've got a, a third of the electorate who just doesn't believe that that the president who was sworn in today is in that office legitimately uh that's a huge problem and you you know it i think it's you don't want to pay too much attention to the congresswoman from QAnon, but as soon as he <laughs> like you know her her first tweet was impeach Biden, and he had yes. just been sworn in. Uh, it, you know, it's it's unlikely that she's going to be you know repudiated by her by her Republican colleagues for that tweet. Uh, you know, they they may not embrace her, but it's emblematic of of kind of uh, the undercurrent of, of congressional politics these days. I mean, you've got kind of a lunatic fringe that's that's still got uh, sway over over a sizable part of the election or the electorate, uh, and that's going to be that's going to be a, a major uh, obstacle for President Biden. And the question is, is it an insurmountable uh, yeah. obstacle? We just don't know one yet. Of, one of the things that's interesting is, I mean, he's, he's kind of picking as his first big legislative uh, lift, uh, the issue of, of uh, immigration and trying to do something comprehensive with that and, and to basically mm-hmm. bring undocumented immigrants, uh, uh, the 11 million or so in the United States, on a, put them on a path to citizenship. It's something that's been talked about for a long time. I think it's probably going to be really difficult uh, in this congressional climate, uh, you know, uh, but one of the things that does strike me is that, you know, if you're, if you think about Mitch McConnell, who's been the Senate majority leader will now be the minority leader. Now the Democrats will have, uh, the majority there, um, mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, Mitch McConnell, I think Biden may benefit somewhat by the fact that Mitch McConnell had such a public falling out with Donald Trump, that Mitch McConnell right. so, was so angry about the fact that Donald Trump basically put Mitch McConnell's life at risk, you know, because, uh, right, because right. He, he basically incited this mob and it was so yeah. obvious the election had been decided, the, this, all the states had certified their results, the electors had voted, and Trump is still trying to stir this, this thing up two weeks before the inauguration. And so I think Mitch McConnell yeah. is so angry that he might be at a point, he's not going to necessarily uh, agree with Biden on, on policy, but I think there might be some part of him that's almost uh, relieved to be talking to somebody who's not the, you know, who might not put his adult. life at risk. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, with, with Mitch McConnell, you know, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think his anger at, at Trump has been palpable. Yeah. Um, and like, clearly they've never had, you know, they never had a warm working relationship. Um, but uh, Mitch McConnell was a facilitator of, of Donald Trump's and, you know, that was, <clears throat> that was discouraging to see, you know, throughout mo- most of Trump's four years. But I do get the sense now that it, like it, it's, he's angry. Yes. Uh, but I also get the sense that, that, uh, McConnell really, you know, he, he, he's not only done with Trump, but I, I, I think he wants to do as much as he can to squeeze Trumpism mm-hmm. out of the Republican party. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's just, it will, will put it, you know, the political reality, the fact that you've still got a major part of the conservative electorate believing uh, Trump's election was stolen from him 
is, you know, how does he maneuver that? Like, how does he, how does he reform the Republican party? I don't know. We'll see. This is, this is the amazing thing. And of course, uh, in, in Trump's final hours as president, the, the, the story started coming out that, and I tend to, to think this is unlikely, but apparently Trump was talking privately in the uh, white house in his final days about, uh, possibly starting, uh, a, a party of his own because he's, he's really, uh, put out with his fellow Republicans who he thinks, uh, didn't stand behind him enough. Mm-hmm. He's talked about forming uh, the, uh, a, a party called the Patriot Party, which would pretty much, uh, if if Trump did that and decided to run mm-hmm. again, it would pretty much destroy the Republican Party for for a generation at least. You know, because I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. probably talking about a presidential election where you'd have uh, Trump getting twenty five percent, the Republican candidate getting twenty five percent, and the Democrat <laughs> just <laughs> cruising to victory. You know, I mean, it would just be uh, uh, just a nightmare for the Republican Party if that. I, I tend to think that won't happen. Uh, it might just be Trump's. Anger. It, I mean, if it did, I mean, think of the irony of it. Like, think back to Lindsey, Lindsey Graham ahead of the, you know, in the uh, GOP presidential uh, primary of 2016. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing here, but if we if we nominate Donald Trump, uh, that will destroy the Republican Party, and we will deserve it. That's right. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Like, and what you're what you're describing is exactly that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we know that we know that Senator Graham feels differently now, uh, but he was probably right on when he said that five years ago. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the symbolism because that's always a big part of the inaugural. I remember when I was a kid how it's uh, it really grabbed my attention when Jimmy Carter coming in. After, you know, a couple of years after the end of Watergate, um, when there had been so much talk about the Nixon's imperial presidency, Jimmy Carter on the on the ride back uh, to the White House on along Pennsylvania Avenue, he and Rosalind Carter got out of the car, walked, uh, walked to the White House. And there was just it, it again, just a purely symbolic thing. But at the, in that moment, it was like we are sort of. Um, trying to convey the idea that this isn't, this president is not going to be, uh, this, uh, all the, all the, the big trappings, uh, ceremonial mm-hmm. trappings we're not, we're not going in for, we're going, we want to, you know, be closer to the people. So there's always uh, some symbolism. One of the things that was interesting is if we go back to, um, to Tuesday, the day before Biden's inaugural, there was a ceremony mm-hmm. in which, uh, you had 400 lights, um, in in commemoration of the 400,000 Americans who have died from COVID-19 pan- pandemic, then mm. uh, these lights along the reflecting pool uh, on the National Mall, you had, uh, you know, this really sort of somber event. Um, you had a nurse singing Amazing Grace. Um, and then, you know, t- today during his, uh, or, or uh, during Biden's uh, inaugural speech, he called for a moment of silence uh, in honor of those who who have who have lost their lives to COVID nineteen, I think this was really interesting because in the ten or eleven months that the United States has been dealing with this, Donald Trump really never ever took a moment to say, you know, let's let's uh, have a moment uh, where we're <laughs> recognizing or or uh, you know paying tribute to people who've died from this. I think it was I think it, there was something about. Uh, that's in his nature that he felt that if we sp- uh, spend too much time acknowledging the loss of life, it's it's basically uh, uh, like Trump acknowledging that he's he's failed in some way, or it's a it's a critique mm-hmm. of his presidency. So he just never really wanted. And and in Trump's farewell speech, which he gave uh, Wednesday morning, uh, 
uh, he did, I think, and this felt like very much a response to the fact that Biden had the, the Tuesday night ceremony. Trump mm-hmm. did say, let's, well, let's, we, we want to think about the people who've, who've died, but he never really did that before. And that was, and I think, so Biden is really, was clearly trying to say, you know, I'm, I'm, we're going to have a president who has some empathy here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got the sense that, uh, you know, President Trump uh, thought about the pandemic primarily in terms of his reelection and how it might threaten his reelection. And like it was politicized from the beginning. Um, what was refreshing about uh, the the ceremony last night and the moment of silence was it, it really felt to me like it was, you know, finally a national leader was depoliticizing this. Yes. And, you know, acknowledging the human cost of it, you know, 400,000 people dead in, in a one year time frame, Uh, and finally somebody, you know, somebody is honoring that, um, you know, paying honor to, to the victims. And we just hadn't had that before. I thought that was, that was really remarkable. Yeah. You know, if, I mean, if you think of it, obviously this, uh, uh, it's a it's completely different situation, but if you just think in terms of a loss of life, this is like having about 130 9 mm-hmm. happen, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, obviously nothing could match how horrifying that was and the, and the violent nature in which the, those, those people passed away, but, but mm-hmm. just such a loss of life. And I don't, you know, I don't think George W. Bush would have considered, well, I'm, I don't really want to you know, I don't want to really pay tribute to the people who've died from 9-11 because it's going to make me look bad or, you know, it just, it, I don't think whatever anybody wants to say about George W. Bush, I don't think that that would have been in his, in his, in his mind at all, you know, but with Trump, it, it right, seemed right. like something that he was very defensive about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, before we wrap things up, uh, just kind of get a sense from you if there were any sort of little, uh, moments, you know, so, so much, uh, focus goes into, uh, you know, just little symbolic moments, what people are wearing, what the performances, I, oh, I, I just know. wanted to mention, I just, I just want to mention that like my personal favorite moment, um, uh, non, non-substantive favorite moment was, uh, when JLo came out to sing a medley of, uh, this land is your land in America, the beautiful. And, uh, toward the end of kind of when she, there was kind of a dramatic pause and she threw in a little, let's get loud, which JLo fans will know was one of her, one of her hits years back. And I just thought, you know, man, that's like, that's why JLo is JLo. Cause she's, she's thinking like, I know this is Joe Biden's inaugural, but I am not going to pass up an opportunity well, to know, plug my, like, my catalog. I, yeah, I was actually, I was, I was tight. I was doing a phone interview, uh, at, at that moment, I missed JLo. So yeah, I was hoping, I was hoping you'd caught her because I know you're a big JLo fan. Well, the, the, there's nothing, nothing, it's rare for anything to be so smooth uh, in to have in a, in a medley, a patriotic medley to go from, let's get loud because this land is your land. That was a really interesting little, little uh, twist that she put on that. Um, uh-huh. So, um, and my God, what did you think of uh, Amanda Gorman, the the oh. laureate? I mean, that gave me chills. I mean, amazing. like her, uh, her, her rendering of that poem was was amazing. I mean, yeah, she's a twenty twenty two year old. Yeah, oh, yeah, Amanda Gorman's twenty two year old uh, African American woman from uh, from the uh, Los Angeles area, and uh, just delivered this amazing uh, poem. And and you know, I I I know that I've been feeling kind of like down uh, the last couple of weeks uh, ever, ever since the the Capitol riot. Just that sort of feeling of like, you know, what's sort of become of this country? You know, I think a lot of people have felt that way, and uh, to see her there and just how eloquent 
and, uh, in, you know, insightful she was, and it was optimistic, but it didn't feel like kind of a, a fake forced optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a one line that's getting quoted a lot, I think was toward, toward the end of her, of her poem when she said that there's always light. If only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. And I just thought what a contrast this was to what we saw mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago at the Capitol. And also um, just that feeling of like, wow, if there are some more people 22 year olds out there like her, like this country might actually have a, you know, we, 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 there may be some reason for hope, you know, in the, right. going forward. I, I don't want to be too gloomy, but you know, you just, you right, start to, right. you, you, it's been a tough, uh, with the, the pandemic and what we've, the political division, it's been a tough time. And yeah. I think that I saw just this, I just had this feeling of like, wow, there's like, there's like hope on the, you know, the, that's that's on the way and um, yeah and if i mean if amanda gorman's uh reading of her poem didn't give you hope then there was always garth brooks singing amazing, amazing <laughs> great. he's still alive he's still alive yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what, what did you think of his performance gilbert come on be yeah, honest i mean you know well you know i'm i've never been a big garth fan i actually made some enemies back in in the day no, when i was i was living in dallas and he did uh, like four nights at uh, texas stadium for a tv special and and they invited me on one of the tv channels to talk about what I thought about it. And then I was kind of lukewarm. And I, I think, I think people hated me after that, but, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, but, um, I will say that I think, you know, politically speaking, it was probably uh, canny on the part of the, the Biden forces to say, you know, we got to, for those of you in flyover country, for those of you in, in the, uh, you know, the, uh, what we think of red America, what would you, what would you say? What would you, the, the Garth Brooks, fan base uh, well, help me out here so i don't say anything America? <laughs> i don't want are to tell me are you telling me you're not in touch with the fan base of garth brooks <laughs> i don't know i would say yeah like red america i'd say that's pretty good yeah i yeah. mean maybe maybe the coastal elites aren't you know aren't so in love with garth brooks as we might find in the hinterlands you know i'm thinking uh like wyoming wyoming comes to mind nebraska yeah. my home state of indiana I know they love Garth Brooks there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, then, you know, yeah. it's, it's basically, you know, the, the, forgive me, the, the hillbilly elegy, uh, sort of, uh, America maybe, uh, you know, I, anyway, so I, uh, <laughs> we might want to, <laughs> yeah, by the way, that was a bad book in a, in a worse movie. This, they somehow made it into a worse movie, but yeah, I heard uh, the movie was horrible and I, I couldn't, yeah, yeah. I couldn't, uh, I wasn't sure I, I could handle that, but yeah. So uh, I, I think that it was, you know, it was, it was the Biden team's uh, attempt to say, you know, we we're, we're here for you too. Um, we're listening to you and, and we're giving you some Garth Brooks and um, it's unity. I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. My only, my only complaint about his performance was after the performance, uh, he was a little huggy and he shook a lot of hands. I don't think, Ooh. I don't think they filled him in on the uh, pandemic protocol. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's just, he was, he was probably kind of ex- excitable, you know? Right, right, um, yeah. Well, anyway, so we're going to, we're going to leave things there. Um, and uh, we, we will be back next week. And I think next week we'll be talking and we've got a lot of local issues to, to talk about, but we wanted to, to get a chance to talk to you all about the, uh, the inaugural and hope everybody's doing well. And we'll be back soon. Take care. 